My good people, how are we? How we're feeling? The weekend was fine? We getting off to a good start? Well, I hope that's the case and about to get your sports fix here on the J Reels podcast as I'm your host, J Reels. Uh, thank you very much for downloading and uh, getting a chance to listen to what it is I have to say, what goes on in the world of sports. For those uh, listening for the very first time, again, much appreciated. I hope you uh, will keep coming back. If this is your first time, if there's more than your first rodeo, I uh, welcome you guys back. Here on a Monday, November the 5th, in the year of our Lord 2018, as I bring you everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Rose Podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. And with so much to get into, uh, we'll talk about the new Met GM. I know it's been six days since Brody Van Wagenen has been anointed the helm of baseball operations for the New York Mets. We'll talk about what he had to say and if there is some glimmer of hope in Flushing. Uh, some other baseball news and notes we'll get to as a hot stove is still a few weeks away. We got to get through the award ceremonies, which I believe is next week. Of course, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, Cy Young, MVP. We'll discuss everything that's happening in the NBA, especially with the locals, but around the league. Of course, talk out in LA about Luke Walton, uh, some NHL stuff. The locals actually doing pretty well if you're not a Devil fan. But we'll go through the leagues, break it down. Some college football. We got a land basting there down in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where LSU got hammered. And it looks like they will uh, probably not be part of the mix as far as a football title is concerned the world of college. But the NFL is where we're going to start. And if you're a Jet fan, I think it's safe to say we could, pro- we could put this season to bed. Here it is after week nine. And it doesn't come to anyone as a surprise. But the one surprise is the way they performed yesterday. And I know I've beaten this point to death here over the last you know few weeks when it comes to just getting this team and this quarterback the progress that it needs just to be competitive. We knew that there were going to be some growing pains, warts and all, but to me that's not the stance I take today. Because when you're a team that is still looking for its identity, does not have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball, there is some talent there and leadership on the defensive side, but when you put up a stinker like you did yesterday in Miami, there is absolutely no excuses, and it starts with the head coach. And I get that there's a lot of people in town that want this guy out. And as we all know, you need to have some continuity when it comes to your head coach. We understand if you have a bad head coach like Hugh Jackson, who, as we talked about last week on the pod, was shown his walking papers. But Todd Bowles continues to show that he is not ready for primetime when it comes to coaching in the National Football League. And I get that you can look back at his first year when he was 10-5 and going into that final game in Buffalo with a chance to go to the postseason. But remember, that team was a more veteran-laden team led by Ryan Fitzpatrick, Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall, just to name a few of the guys on the offensive side of the ball. But now as we're here in year number four, granted that they had to start anew, and we know all the promise and the potential of a one Sam Darnold, But with the way things have just spiraled out of control here over the last few weeks, and with Buffalo coming into town this week and they can't score to save their own lives, you got to wonder if this is going to be the beginning of the end for Todd Bowles. And if I'm a Jet fan, I'd be furious. I'd be disgusted. And again, I understand that there's no talent on the offensive side of the ball in the skill positions. You know, Quincy Inunua, very solid receiver, but certainly not a number one. Same for Jermaine Curse. Robbie Anderson has talent. We know he's a knucklehead. But for whatever the reason, they just cannot seem to be on the same page 
We know the offense coordinator, Jeremy Bates, who has had his moments here early on in the season, but now as you're getting into the middle and deeper into the season, there needs to be some sort of, they have to come up with just a different plan. And what I mean by that is that, you no, know, a lot of people talk about trick plays and trying to spice up the offense. I get that you can only do but so much considering the personnel that you have on this team. But for whatever the reason, they are just showing, it seems, no life when it comes to either running the football, throwing the football, making any key plays. And certainly yesterday, you just look at what happened down there, and we all know that Sam Donald just had by far his worst performance as a professional here in just nine games into his career. And look, this is a Dolphin team that we know, despite the fact they got to a 3-0 start, part of that being with the Jets there in week two, but this is not a good Dolphin team. They certainly were unable to rush the passer all season. I think in the last five games I saw a stat where they only had five sacks. Yesterday they had four. Cameron Wake was awakened when it comes to getting pressure on the quarterback. And we know the Jet offensive line isn't great either. But their offense yesterday was just unwatchable. It's bad enough that you have these coaching decisions by Bowles. And I understand some people had killed him. At 13-3, when he kicked a 56-yard field goal, where early in the game, Jason Myers missed, which would have been a key field goal at that time because the game was just back and forth. It was pretty much field goals until the pick six later on, which we'll get to. But for Myers and company to get that field goal, which I thought, as risky as it was, even down 13-3, but they needed to get this game within one score, which they actually did. And they had their moments and opportunities even after that, but certainly weren't able to cash in. I mean, just look at that final drive. Now, granted, it was going to be a miracle because they had no timeouts. And we know that the offense was pretty much unable to move the ball most of the day. But to think that they had a chance, they had an opportunity, and it certainly went by the wayside. I understand you can't get too creative considering that you're asking a lot from this quarterback early on. But you know what? You have to take shots. And with everything that I said before, because people could say, well, hey, Jay Reels, they don't have the Rams offense. They don't have the Saints offense, of course. We understand that. But at the same time, you would think that Bates somehow, some way, would have to go into a bag of tricks or somehow come up or devise a different game plan despite the fact they want to make it simple for their quarterback. But hey, they're in the business to try to not just win games. We all understand that's the end result. But you need to have some sort of offensive firepower, offensive output to put forth in this league, especially when you're going up against a team that their defense has just been absolutely putrid over the last few weeks in the Dolphins. You know, they're not going up against the Jacksonville defense despite all the hype. They're not going up against the Viking defense, which they did a couple weeks prior, and we know how that turned out. And you would think against the Dolphins that somehow, some way, they would be able to score some points despite the fact them pretty much being in the game as just offensively from hunger that they were pretty much throughout the course of four quarters down in South Florida. And now you're at a stage here in your season – where there's talk about possibly benching Donald for a game to bring in Josh McCown, especially against the Buffalo Bill team, which is probably, if not the worst team in football, definitely top two, top three. They can't seem to score any type of points with a home on the road. And then they have a bye after that, and then New England right after the bye. And I get that maybe Bulls may make this move only to try to win games and maybe to save his job, quote-unquote. But at the same time, why would you do that now, nine games into a season where you're pretty much over? Let's just face it. 
You've lost games in the division. You got swept by the Dolphins. You haven't played the Bills or Patriots yet. And now is when you have to throw a life preserver out for your season and bring in Josh McCown. If anything, just keep Donald in there. It makes no sense to bring McCown in now. Your team's not going anywhere. Let him take his lumps. Hopefully he doesn't take severe lumps where he's going to be out for a significant amount of time. But there's, to me, there's no way, shape, or form to bring in McCown. What is that going to do for this Jet season? It's not, it's not going to do anything. And it would actually be disgraceful, despite the fact that you've seen in the past where, hey, it's good to bench a rookie quarterback. I mean, it happened to Terry Bradshaw. And on more than one occasion. Granted, that was another lifetime in the NFL, and here we are talking 2018 as opposed to the 70s, but still, let this kid learn. Let this kid continue to fight his way out of it, and the only way he's going to do so is if he plays. All right, so you're going to put McCown in for one game, and let's say they do win, and you go into the bye, and you're going to continue to play McCown, I guess, whether the Patriots on the other side of the bye or you know the rest of the schedule where they still got a couple of tough games. Please, just put Donald in there. Let him learn. You still have McCown in his back pocket for him to pick his brain, for him, for whatever it is. And then we understand that hasn't been working here over the last few weeks. But at the same time, between the offensive line yesterday becoming a sieve, the ineptitude of certain plays. I mean, i never forget that last drive where Curse was just, you know, he throws an out to Curse. And he's standing on the sidelines pretty much, out of bounds, as he catches the ball. I don't know if he was disinterested. I don't know if he thought the ball wasn't coming his way. And then there he is. He catches the ball, and he's standing on the sideline, which is disgraceful. And, you know, you're not talking about a rookie wide receiver. This guy's played in Super Bowls. But now, with this Jet season pretty much long gone, if you ask me, you have to stick with a rookie. Let him take his lumps. Let him learn now. You know, you're not going to pull the plug on him nine games in. I understand if Bulls does that, like I said, it's to save his job. But if I'm the Johnsons, Chris Johnson in particular, I don't want to hear it. And then you got to hear the rhetoric at the end of the game. And I get, you know, he's going to put a positive spin no matter what. Oh, we're fighting. We're scratching. We're clawing. We're this close. We're, we're playing better. Come on. That game yesterday. You have to avert your eyes. That's how bad it was. Now, mind you, I was watching a Steeler-Raven game, but from time to time, you know, I'm looking at the Jet game, and again, Donald with his just bad throws. What about Spencer Long? What's up with him? I mean, it seemed every other snap was awful. It was almost it was either over Donald's head, it was at his feet, it was about to be over his head. I mean, can we get a grip here, literally, Spencer Long? So it goes from top to bottom with this organization, including the Johnsons. But again, let's not get too crazy because you got to look at the coach. He's got to go. And McCagnan, I understand he's going to have a lot to work with this offseason, $100 million under the cap, whatever it may be. But as of right now, you got to be looking at that product and saying to yourself, oh, geez, once this season ends, mercifully, there's somehow, some way we got to turn this around. And when you hear comments from your star safety you know, one Jamal Adams saying that I'm not a loser. I didn't come here to lose. He's passionate, etc. That's what you want to hear. Now, I understand, you know, Jamal Adams is lighting up the world on fire on the defensive side of the ball. I get that. But you know what? He's out there to play. And from what you've seen, it's not as if the team has quit. 
you know, you hope you don't get to a game, let's say the New England game, where they lose 41-10 and they're just, you know, matador defense letting players into the end zone left and right, knowing that they just don't want to be there. But once you get that, then it's forget about it. That, those, that would be the final nail in Todd Bowles' coffin. But right now, you got to stick with this game plan here. You got your prized rookie. You finally got your franchise quarterback. At this juncture of the season, why pull the plug now? Doesn't make any sense. If you were in a mix for a playoff, if you were, let's say, 5-4 and four today, and he just barely got by, and he has a bad game against the Bills, and you want to have McCown come in and pull out the, you know, pull him, this team out from the fire, then that's another story. But that's not going to be the case. This season is just totally lost and out to sea, as I like to say. And if you're a Jet fan, I know it's frustrating. I know it's aggravating. You know, to think at one point you were actually three and three, and you're, as I said then, you can't start thinking playoffs. You can't start thinking wild cards. You can't none of that. And it's easy to get wrapped up in that because as fans, you have hope. You feel as if after those two games against Denver and Indianapolis, when you were, like I said, at 500, you had that game against the Vikings, which you were in the game for, you know, two and a half quarters, and then it just pretty much went right through the cracks as it did then the next week in Chicago and then yesterday in Miami. And now you come home to play a Bill team, which you actually, you have to win. I mean, if this team is going to make any leap or have any type of success or growth, they have to win this game because Buffalo is just putrid. And who they're starting at quarterback, they might as well have me starting quarterback. No offense, Nathan Peterman, but uh, please. So that's the deal with the Jets. I understand, you know, you have Bart Scott, going crazy, and and listen, I understand that's ratings, and you know, you have to come out and say something, but to me, it begins and ends with the coach, and I've seen enough, I know that if I was a Jet fan, I would certainly not want to have this man come back, it's been four years, it's just gone downhill ever since, you've had two 5-11 seasons, and you're on pace for another 5-11 season, and memo to the Johnsons, and I understand, hey, let's not get too crazy, but memo to them who obviously... You know, they, they wouldn't know a screen pass from a from a lateral. But they have to get on board here and realize that their comments before the start of the season, oh, it's not about wins and losses, it's about progress. Well, guess what? It's a results-driven league, and if you don't have the results, these guys need to go. And Todd Bowles, I know a very good defensive coordinator. We all know where he came from, Arizona, et cetera. But he's just not cracked up to be a head coach. That's all there is to it. So that's the deal with the Jets. As far as the Giants are concerned, we know they had to buy. They'll be back on the uh, schedule this week. But, of course, they had to make some news where Kyle Loletta, who a lot of people are clamoring to have him come in and fill the shoes of Eli Manning, well, just so happened that last week was arrested for almost hitting an officer after making an illegal turn. Don't know what has happened since then. I don't know what kind of discipline or anything has been uh, brought down as far as the organization is concerned, but at the same time, you know, there's even conspiracy theories about Loletta purposely doing that just so he won't, you know, have these backup or first team reps for that next game where he could actually get some playing time and try to see if he can make a name for himself. Well, I got news for you. Even if Loletta were to start this coming week, there is no way behind that offensive line that he would do, he'd probably be Nathan Peterman. I hate to pick on him, but it's the truth. And the Giants, despite the fact that they have a winnable game going to San Francisco on a Monday night, but you would think that at some point they're going to tell Eli that this is it or we're going to give the keys to Loletta probably for the last few games 
Because I'm sure they don't want to have a botch-up situation like they did last year when Ben McAdoo and everything that happened with there, Geno Smith. I'm sure they're not going to go down that road again. But I'm sure as we get close to the end of this woebegone season for the Giants, where right now it stands at 1-7, if it certainly doesn't get any better, and not to say they're going to make any noise. I mean, please, they're not running the table here. But if this season's you know 3-10 and 10 and three more games left, you would think that they would say, well, let's see what we got in Loletta because with the way things are going, the Giants are headed for another high draft pick. I'm sure they're going to start thinking about quarterbacks and they're going to look at their roster and say, well, hey, Kyle, go out there and see what you could do despite the fact that the offensive line you know, couldn't block me. So we'll see what happens there with the Giants as they uh, start the second half of their season again Monday night, and the Jets have a bye this week. So, hey, Jets won't win or lose this week. So, Jet fans, you can certainly put your feet up for a week, take a big, deep breath, and uh, see what happens uh, the last seven games of the season. Now, to recap the Week 9 schedule, we'll start off with San Francisco because that was a huge story with Kirk Mullins, who came in, three touchdowns, 262 yards. The guy looked like a 10-year veteran against the Raider team, which... I don't know what's happening out there. I know they're collecting draft picks. Good for John Gruden. And how could John Gruden come out and say that, oh, players want to play for the Raiders? Uh, Since when have the Raiders, and we all know, they are a marquee franchise despite the fact that they've fallen on hard times ever since they went to the Super Bowl and lost to Tampa back in, what was that, Super Bowl 37. We get that. But for him to come out and say that, I've spoken to players and I know people around the league that they want to come to play for the Raiders. Uh... Gruden, uh, what's going on? Uh, Listen, I could come out and say a lot of nasty things about Gruden, but you know what? They're 1-8 for a reason. They've been awful. They lose 34-3. That's all you need to hear about when it comes to the way the Raiders have played this year. And as we move along, let's just trim some fat here because there are a lot of games yesterday. It wasn't really an exciting week. You had a couple of good games, though, yesterday. But uh, just to cut right to it, Buffalo, as I said, Earlier, they scored nine points. I think in the last five weeks, they've scored like six, five, nine. I mean, they just had some awful numbers. You would think that these are baseball scores uh, when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. But they lose 41-9 as the Bears continue to roll and try to keep themselves atop the NFC North. And we'll break down all the divisions at the uh, tail end. But Chicago, with a big effort there, had a couple of touchdowns from uh, the defensive side of the ball as they roll up in uh, Orchard Park. Uh, Vikings had a big game there from the, their defense, 24-9. Looks like the Lions are going to be uh, long gone for this season. So the Vikings continue to keep pace with the Bears there in the NFC North, and it looks like it's going to be a two-team race because the Packers last night in Foxborough, although at 17 up and it was a competitive game, but they turned on the Aaron Jones fumble as the Packers were driving on the Patriots. But uh, that was the key play of the game, the fumble there, and then what the Patriots do from that ensuing drive, they go down the field, score a touchdown, and then ice it with the Josh Gordon touchdown as they uh, beast the secondary wide open for a long touchdown there as the Pats will cruise to another AFC East title. Shocker. And the Pats, or excuse me, the Patriots, with that win, 7-2, and two, and I think they have a bye upcoming. No, no, not yet. I thought it was this coming week. But the Packers now at 3-4-1 and one, certainly – right now are close to being on life support here for their season. 
Still some time left. They still have a, a bunch of division games to go. But at the same time, season is starting to slip away. You're already at eight games and four losses. And with an NFC that's uh, pretty stacked when it comes to wildcard teams, it looks like the Packers may be on the outside looking in. Uh, let's see, other trim the fat games. Yeah, you don't really have any others. Well, I'll, I'll pick this game. You know, Redskins are a bunch of frauds. How can they go, you know, five and two, playing well, and for them to lay an egg at home? Now, we understand the Falcons, they could certainly put up points as they did yesterday 38 14. Matt Ryan with a huge game, 350 yards passing. But the Redskins at home, I mean, that's a game you got to be at least be competitive, and they certainly did not do that as the Falcons roll on. And the Falcons could be one of those teams, maybe on the outside looking in, but who knows? They may hit their stride here as they just got back to 500. Remember, they were 1-4. So let's see if they go on a little bit of a run here. And Atlanta goes to Cleveland next week. So they could probably get above 500. And Cleveland, uh, although with all the changes that have been made there with the coaching staff, they certainly now have hit hard times. I know they finally got uh, that win earlier this year against the Jets and then beat the Ravens there in overtime. You kind of thought to yourself that, hey, this is a team that maybe, not to say they're going to make a run in the AFC, but at the same time, who knows? Maybe they could pull out. They're over under number, which was six. Right now, they're two, six, and one, and it certainly doesn't look like they're going to be anywhere near six wins this year. So Atlanta certainly could put uh, their stamp on the season right here with a nice run and get themselves above 500, like I mentioned. But the Redskins just an awful job at home. I mean, that's a game you got to be competitive, and they certainly weren't. Uh, Carolina, they're looking very feisty. They had a 35-7 lead, and then Fitzmagic actually brought them back to 35-28, but they held them off uh, with a 42-28 victory. Cam Newton uh, certainly looking very well. A lot of people think he could be an MVP candidate, despite the fact of the heroics with Patrick Mahomes and also Todd Gurley this year. But they've certainly played very well, 6-2, and two, and they have a big game this coming week, you know, Thursday night, just three days from now, to Pittsburgh. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, Carolina is certainly playing very well. Uh, Houston and Denver, I know that was a game where it came down to a 51-yard field goal by Brandon McManus, which he pushed wide right, tried to ruin the quick turnaround homecoming of Demarius Thomas, who was traded early in the week. Obviously, he had a few trades there with Clinton Dix going to Washington, Golden Tate going to Philadelphia, and even Ty Montgomery going to Baltimore. Demarius Thomas going to Denver, or excuse me, going to Houston from Denver, uh, had a few catches in the game. Uh, didn't really have a big game, but uh, did have about 66 yards in the air or catching from uh, a one Deshaun Watson. But Houston, talk about season turnaround. We all talked about it, 0-3. And one of those losses, that third loss to the Giants. Well, so talk about the turnaround their season. So they've won six in a row. I'm not really sold on them. There's going to come a case in point where Houston's, I think that they're probably going to make the playoffs here with the way the Standings are looking, and again, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I don't trust them. I don't trust Houston. I don't trust J.J. Watt in a big spot. We've got to see about Clowney, but uh, Houston's certainly looking very well, very good, and Vance Joseph, who knows if he's going to be on his way out because some of his coaching decisions in this fourth quarter and especially on that final drive, uh, I know he put some blame on himself, but uh, who knows how much John Elway's going to stand for that. So uh, Denver losing uh, again to Houston, 1917. The Chargers give them some credit as they get a big road win in Seattle. Seattle actually had a chance to get the equalizer or at least to cut it to within two and then have a two-point conversion, but it was incomplete in the end zone. It actually was tipped. The ball was in the receiver's hands, but it was dropped. And the Chargers, 6-2. and The only two losses, remember, against the Chiefs and Rams, so certainly not going to look at that and 
say, oh, geez, you know, they've uh, lost to some bad teams. Could this be the Chargers year? Could they actually make a run? I don't know if they're going to make a run for the division because they can't beat Kansas City in a big spot, but it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how far down the line they play, but uh, you would think if the Chargers can continue to play this well, that may set them up for a chance to go ahead and play for a division title. But again, they got to go to Kansas City because remember, they lost to them in week one. They got slaughtered out in Los Angeles. So they got to go to Kansas City. And if you remember last year, as they were trying to get back in the division race, that late, well, I think it was in December, late in the season, maybe week 15 or 16, they lost a Saturday night game in Kansas City. So I, I could totally see the Chargers doing that. But uh, certainly playing well. Got to give them credit. As the Chargers win 25-17. The other LA team against the New Orleans Saints, that was uh, highlighted and billed as the game of the year, considering New Orleans came into the game 6-1, and one, and we all know that the Los Angeles Rams were the last undefeated team in the league. Pretty much the game turned around on a play in the late in the second quarter. It was 28-14. Goff throws an interception there. It was a nice play by the linebacker, and then they punch it into the end zone to make it 35-14. They did come back and kick a field goal right before the half and came all the way back to actually tie it. But after the Rams tied the game at 35, Saints then got the ball, were able to kick a field goal on their next drive, and then once they got the ball back, they got a long pass. Michael Thomas, who was by far uh, had the biggest game of his career, 211 yards, receiving uh, a couple touchdowns, certainly an enormous game for not only him but also for the Saints as they certainly, although they're still a half game behind, the reason why I say half game because the Rams have not, had their buy yet where the Saints already have. So the Saints at 7-1 and one and the Rams at 8-1. and one. We'll see how that plays down the road as far as home field is concerned, but they certainly right now, despite the fact that the Rams have that uh, extra game that they play and they haven't had their buy, well, as a matter of fact, their buy is probably the week after next. The Saints certainly put themselves in good position in the NFC there with that win as the 45-35 Saints keep marching along. What else do we got here? Kansas City and Cleveland. I'll mention them real quick. Uh, Cleveland was actually in the game for a little bit, but pretty much in cruise control were the Chiefs. 37-21. Mahomes, 375 yards in the air. Uh, Big game for them. Obviously, they have offensive weapons abound. Uh, You worry about their defense, though. And again, I've said this time and time again. I have not been a big proponent for Kansas City. They've always gagged in big spots. And remember who their coach is. And I've said this. You could take this podcast three, four weeks ago. And I've been saying this all along. They don't have a big-time pass rusher. We know Justin Houston's been hurt over the last few years. You know, you would expect maybe D. Ford to step up. We know Eric Berry hasn't been in, you know, in the lineup. So defensively, they would scare me in a big spot. Now, I understand they may have home field when it's all said and done. Now, remember, they did lose to the Patriots there on a Sunday night a few weeks back. But again, they do have a game in hand and a game up on them as they are uh, currently 7-1. and one. Let me see. Let me look at their record real quick. Yeah, Chiefs right now, no, they're 8-1, and one, so they haven't had their bye yet. Neither have the Pats. So they still have a game lead, and they certainly control their own destiny. So despite losing to the Patriots, they would have the one seed if the season ended today, but we still know, obviously, there's a long way to go. And let's see, is that all the games that I've covered? Tampa, Houston, and of course the final game, which I'll get to, is Steelers and Ravens. This was an enormous game for the Steelers, even more bigger for the Ravens, because now they're 4-5. and five. Looks like their season could be done, considering how competitive the AFC has uh, become. 
and we'll get to it in a second. But to me, the biggest thing about this game was the Steelers were able to convert on third downs to extend drives, move the chains. They had time of possession. They had the ball for 36 minutes in the game. And uh, Roethlisberger suffered a would look like a scare there uh, late in the third quarter as he got uh, as he was running out of the pocket. He gets tackled, didn't slide, falls on his shoulder. He was on the ground for God knows how long, and I'm thinking, oh, there goes our season right before my eyes. But he was just out for one play as later it was found out that he just got the wind knocked out of him. But to me, the biggest play of the game was right after that. He gets knocked out of the game. Josh Dobbs comes in and his first NFL pass – what does he do? And deepen steal uh, in their own territory. And mind you, Roethlisberger was running out of the pocket, got a few yards, but there was a penalty, a holding penalty on that play, so it took him back to almost a five-yard line. So now Dobbs, deep in his own territory, throws a pass over the middle, completes it for 22 yards on a second and 20 to Juju Smith-Schuster, gets a first down. Roethlisberger comes back, and then a couple plays later, finds Jesse James down the sideline for a big game, which led to a field goal those were the two biggest plays of the game because the Ravens, although did nothing offensively pretty much the whole game, but after the Steelers taking a 20-6 lead, starting the third quarter where they had the ball for almost nine minutes, they scored a touchdown where Ben uh, sneaks it in from two yards out, and you're thinking, all right, game's pretty much going to be in hand. What the Ravens did, they came back down the field, made it a seven-point game after Chris Boswell misses the extra point, which would have made it 21-6, and I thought that would come back to haunt them. But, again, biggest play was the Dobbs pass to Juju, followed by the Roethlisberger play to Jesse James. And at 23-13, they did tack on a field goal later on, but the Steelers were in control. They converted on a bunch of third downs, even a couple fourth downs, just to keep the chains moving, keep the drives alive, and that's what pretty much iced the game for the Steelers as they have – Another victory in their pocket to think. Eight games in, five, two, and one, and they've already played five division games. They're three, one, and one in the division and pretty much have control of the AFC North. Now, they do play the Bengals the final game of the season, which, for all intents and purposes, they win that. They will win a division. And I understand that after losing a Sunday night game to the Ravens, as they did back, what was it, late September, at one, two, and one, I thought this team was going to be left for dead. They already had suffered two losses. They were at that time 0-1-1 in the division, and they still hadn't played Cincinnati, and granted that, you know, Steelers usually beat up on the Bengals as they stole that victory there a few weeks ago, but at the same time, I thought this team was playing awful defensively. Offensively, they certainly weren't in sync in that second half against the Raven game, and I thought to myself, how's this team, and no Le'Veon Bell, and James Conner certainly, although he had the big game against Cleveland, but did not have big games those three weeks after, and you just think to yourself, how's this team? This team's one-dimensional. Ben's going to have to pull these games out of the fire every time, and we all know that that's not going to be sustainable over the course of 16 games. But since then, James Conner's been phenomenal. He's had four straight games, which I re- and I couldn't even believe this, four games where he's had 100 yards rushing and over 50 yards receiving. And it said it hadn't been done in the NFL, it's, I believe, since the merger, which I found that hard to believe. I mean, considering... The players, whether it was Thurman Thomas, Marshall Falk, even Le'Veon Bell. So, great for Connor. And to me, the Le'Veon Bell thing, I think he has to report by next Wednesday. It's after week 11. You've got week 10 coming up. Who knows if he's going to come back. And I understand they're saying the right things, welcome with open arms, etc. If you're a Steeler fan with the way Connor's performed, why even have him back? 
Uh, I certainly don't want him back. Who knows what kind of attitude he's going to bring. We know he's not going to be in game shape, despite the fact he's probably be in phenomenal shape. But you know what, Le'Veon? That's all right. Sit out. You're only hurting yourself. I understand he's probably thinking that, hey, I got to get my stock back up so when I go into this offseason to try to get his big contract. But to me, that's neither here nor there. Nor there. Whatever it is he wants to do, let him do. But uh, just stay away because the team is certainly in sync and playing better than I thought they would ever play. And don't look at yesterday's game, Steeler fans, with their defense. Although the defense has played better. But let's face it, that Raven offense is not good. This week is going to be a very interesting game because they're playing Carolina. They have weapons on offense. Don't only have big-time receivers, although Funches can make some plays, but we know about McCaffrey, obviously Cam Newton. And we'll see what happens there. Greg, you know, Greg Olson also is a you know, good tight end when he's healthy. So that's going to be a very interesting matchup, especially for their defense and just a short turnaround. Uh, that's your Thursday night game, Carolina at Pittsburgh, which is a big game for both teams. Carolina is looking to keep pace with the Saints. And remember, they play them two of the final three weeks of the season. So they're looking and trying to set their sights on the division, and the Steelers just want to continue to put the pedal to the metal in the uh, AFC North and kind of keep pace with both the Chiefs and the Patriots. The Patriots they'll see down the road. Obviously, the Chiefs took care of them earlier this year. So that's your uh, week nine in the National Football League. And to look ahead for week 10, not a lot of good games. You know, New Orleans-Cincinnati, if you want to look at that. New England-Tennessee, that's not a great game by any stretch, but it's Mike Vrabel going up against his old coach and uh, Bill Belichick. So you have another... Uh, what is it? You have another teacher, teacher pupil matchup, which you had earlier this year with Matt Patricia going up against Belichick on that Sunday night game. So now you got Vrabel in the mix. Jacksonville and Indy, that's an interesting game from the standpoint of one of those teams. If they lose, they're probably done for the season. Not a sexy matchup to say the least, but uh, and your Sunday afternoon game, Seattle's at LA, the Rams, Dallas, Philly is your Sunday night game. That's not a great game. And in your Monday night game, so you don't really have great games. In fact, you're probably a highlight game of the week. Maybe that Carolina-Pittsburgh game. Because you go through the rest of the schedule, I mean, it's brutal. Arizona-Kansas City. And I think Kansas City's an 18-point favorite. Detroit-Chicago. We talked about the Monday night game. Washington at Tampa. I mean, Buffalo-New York. I mean, you guys just got some bad games this week. And then your uh, buys this week are Denver, Minnesota, Baltimore, and Houston. And uh, that pretty much ices your Week 10 matchups. Uh, On to college just quickly. The LSU Tigers, if there was any chance at home with that rivalry. Now, the rivalry hasn't been the same over the years. And as we all know, that LSU, if they were going to make any noise in this college football season, they needed to win this game in the worst way. And what happened? Boy, did they lay an egg, and literally and figuratively. 29 nothing. Alabama just goes in there and smokes them. Uh, Tua, I can't pronounce the kid's last name, the uh, Islander kid. Tua Taviglioli, I can't even pronounce it, so forgive me for butchering it. 295 yards, two touchdowns, also uh, played big with his legs. And what could you say? The machine down in Tuscaloosa just keeps on churning. They play Mississippi State this weekend. You know, can Mississippi State or, you know, a top-ranked team, they're ranked 18th in the country, can they go in there and put a scare into the, uh, you know, the Crimson Tide? I don't think so. But, uh, you know, we'll certainly see. But uh, LSU just an awful performance. So you could pretty much forget about their chances to get into the uh, top four there for college football. But Michigan stomping on Penn State, which pretty much puts Penn State season out to pasture. But Michigan, 
we look at them because now they put themselves in a situation where they're fourth in the country, and we all know they have a date in three weeks against the Ohio State Buckeyes or the Ohio State Buckeyes. And we know Ohio State, with the way their year has gone, of course they're still top-ranked, but certainly not in the mix right now as they're in double digits. I think they're ranked 10th in the country. But we all know that if Harbaugh, who over the last couple of years have certainly, his teams have not played well, and now to face Ohio State and everything it means to that rivalry and to those schools, he has to win that game. And everybody's going to be focused on that. I don't have their schedule in the weeks to come as to who they're playing. They're playing Rutgers this week. In fact, the game is in New Jersey. I would think all the tickets are gone. But if you could somehow, some way get a ticket, you want to go see a top four team in the country, you could get to go across the river to see the Wolverines play against the uh, Scarlet Knights. But Michigan right now, I'm sure they can't look that far ahead, but that game is going to be the game for Jim Harbaugh. He's got to win that game this year. He's 0-4 against Ohio State as it is in Urban Meyer. He's got to win it. I mean, there's no offense much about it. But that's for the weeks to come. We'll certainly talk as we get closer. We'll talk more about that. And then, like I said, your top four: Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame continues to win. They beat Northwestern and Michigan. Round out your top four: where Georgia and Oklahoma are right behind them at five and six. Just to kind of keep an eye on that. Uh, let me turn my attention to the Mets real quick. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we have Brody Van Wagenen as your GM, which doesn't come as a surprise. I kind of mentioned that last week that he was uh, not just a front runner after Doug Melvin had stepped down and Hein Bloom was too much of an analytics guy, I thought maybe for the Wilpons. With that being said, we all know that any GM in any sport, they're going to come in there and they're going to break out the pom-poms. They're going to say all the right things. They're almost like a politician. When you hear that this team is going to be fearless, relentless, and in pursuit of greatness, which was his quote, of course... You're going to look at that as a Met fan and say, hey, right, that's what we want to hear, but what are you going to do? We know that Omar is going to be part of the mix, and Omar is going to do a lot of the scouting and I'm sure some advisor role. We don't know about John Rico. We don't know about J.P. Ricciardi right now. Who knows if they step down or if they're going to take those lesser roles. Omar is say, hey, I'm all for it. Omar's a team guy. We know he's a former GM. He could have said, nah, I want to running my own team somewhere else. But no, he knows that this team is close. The talent for what we talked about from podcast end pretty much throughout the course of the last couple of weeks. But the one thing about Brody that I need to not just hear, but you got to see, especially when we know the free agents are out there. And despite the fact he had a bad World Series and certainly didn't up his stock as a player, we know the type of talent Manny Machado is. But all this talk about Competing, making a mark, pursuit of greatness, so on and so forth. Yes, he's going to talk with Jed, uh, Jeff Wilpon. Yes, he wants this to be a collective thing. He wouldn't have taken the job if the owner wasn't involved. But let's see them put their money where their mouths are. And we all know Machado's not coming here. I mean, let's come on. But at the same time, we understand it's going to be a process. We understand it's not going to happen overnight. And that's the one thing we got to give Van Wagenen, but at the same time, don't come out with all this bluster and bravado and try to coerce the Met fan that this is going to happen. I'd rather him say, yeah, we are pursuing that, but it's probably going to take some time. We want to try to win next year, which of course he's going to say, but I would like to a little bit more realistic approach. You know, too much 
praise too much. Oh, the greatness and yes, we're going to have accountability everywhere from the scouting, from the analytics. I mean, everything. Come on. I get that that's what you're going to come out and say. I get that's what most GMs are going to come out and say. But we don't want to hear that. We just want to hear we're going to do our best to put forth a championship-level team next year. We have certain pieces in place. We know there are other pieces that need to be put in place. We're going to do our best to get those pieces in place to win a title. That's what I want to hear. Because all these other – I don't want to hear mumbo-jumbo. I don't want to hear any bravado from a standpoint of adages or say, you know, quotes, anything. No, I don't want to hear that. Sorry. You come across as a politician and Lord knows with tomorrow and everybody go out and vote. Let me just throw that out there. Tomorrow, midterms, elections, go out there and vote, people. But with Van Wagenen, I understand that he's he's looking forward to this. He wants to turn this franchise around. He knows what he's competing with on the other side of town. Not to say that the Mets and Yankees are competing, but as far as for tickets, for fan bases, etc. But please, can we cut all that out? Can we just get right to it and say, yes, we need bullpen help? And what was that press conference? How could they go in there, ask like five questions, like, okay, that's going to wrap this up. We're ready for one-on-ones. The new PR director, I can't, even, I don't remember his name, and I could care less at this moment. But at the same time, how can you go into a press conference with them asking like three or four questions and then pull the plug? All right, that's it, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming. God bless and good night. I found that disgraceful. This is New York. So, yes, we need to know. Are you going to go out for some of the higher? I understand I can't mention names, things of that nature, but still, we need to know this team needs some bullpen help. Hey, this team needs a superstar. Hey, this team needs whatever, center fielder, a catcher. What's going to happen? And we get Van Wagen will probably give you the generic, bland, vanilla response, but we didn't even get to hear those questions nor even answered. So what was that about? Were they trying to save face to know that this New York media was going to pounce on this guy, so the PR director said, oh, no, 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 we're going to try to table it right here and just skirt it with these few questions, and then off we go. So to me, that was a bad job. And despite the fact that, right, it would have been lip service to the fans, I get that, but still, we didn't get those questions answered, and to me, that was just a bad job by the Mets. But then again, it's the Mets, so what are you going to do? As far as the Yankees are concerned, they bring Brett Gardner back into the mix for one year, he had, uh, what was it, $12 million coming up this year, so they declined that, so they saved $2.5 million. So they're going to give him nine point five this coming season. If I'm the Yankees, I would not have brought him back. You already have a glutton of outfielders on the team to begin with, and I understand Gardy. He's a guy that's been on the team going back to when the, he was the last guy that, that on the team that played in the old Yankee Stadium. But as we all know, to be nostalgic – and to have that sentimentality, that's not going to win you games. We get that he's a guy who's been on this team for 11 years and he's scratched and clawed and has been on this team for and been had some good years and productive and probably a lot longer than a lot of people thought. But he had an awful second half of the season. McCutcheon pretty much took his job in September and now you're going to bring him back. And it's, to me, it's not even about the money. It's just about a roster spot and that could have gone elsewhere. Now, I'm not trying to say that you could have brought McCutcheon back because I understand he's a left-handed bat and the team does not have a lot of left-handed bats minus Didi, who's not going to be on the team until probably July, and Greg Bird, which he's a Rubik's Cube. So you don't know what you're going to get out of him. But to me, to bring him back, when you have Clint Frazier, 
You still have Jacoby Ellsbury. Did you forget about him? You know, Stanton, is he going to get some time in the outfield? You would think. So, to, uh, to me, as a fourth outfielder, no. You could have just had Clint Frazier on the team. He would have been younger. You had a guy who's obviously would have been playing for or competing for playing time. I just thought it was a bad move. And despite the fact that Guardy could still play, and I understand he's, he's still fast, but nah. You got to get younger. You want to get better from that standpoint. And obviously, to put 9.5 million, maybe you could have put that toward your starting pitcher. Or just another guy, utility, that's a lot younger. So to me, that just didn't make much sense. Maybe they just thought of a lefty bat, and yes, he'll be the fourth outfielder, or he'll probably compete for an outfield spot. But to me, at 35 years old, you're not going to get a lot more out of Guardy than you already have. And to me, his best days are behind him. That's not to say he could get into one from once in a while or come up with a big hit or that long at-bat with draws a walk or whatever. Right, that's going to happen throughout the course of a season. But in big spots or moments when, you know, you need a clutch hit, is he going to deliver more often than not? Chances are no. Right, just like anybody else, they'll have their moments. But on a consistent basis, again, this is where you need more younger athletic people. And the Yankees should know that more than anybody. When you look at Gleyber Torres and you look at Andujar and some of the other guys they have in the minor leagues that haven't even scratched the surface. And we know about Clayton Kershaw. He's back in the mix in L.A. Three years, $93 million. You had a feeling he wasn't going to go anywhere, so Dodgers try to secure that. And then in a couple weeks, you'll have free agency. Now, the World Series ended, so it's been eight days. So you know, a week from today, free agency is open for business. Now, the thing is, real quick, is it going to be like it was last year? From a standpoint of a lot of these guys, a lot of the J.D. Martinez's of the world signing pretty much hours before the start of training camp, you know, spring training? Or the guys like Machado, Bryce Harper, et cetera, are they going to come off the, off the ledger quick, fast, in a hurry? I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be some time and it's going to be some negotiations, and I, don't, I can't see it. If last offseason was an indication, and granted that Machado and Harper are a better player, is, you know, they're both of them together are better than J.D. Martinez as far as all around is concerned. But if Martinez had to wait that long, what do you think Machado and Harper? And especially after what Machado just came off of in that World Series and then Harper not even making the postseason and having a down year for him despite the fact he had big home run numbers. He finally cracked 100 RBIs, but he barely – I don't even think he hit 250. So we'll see how that uh, unfolds there as we get closer to the uh, hot stove and offseason – situation there now as far as the NBA and NHL before I say goodbye and also real quick on this Mayweather thing because I want to do this in under an hour right now I'm 46 minutes in so let's get right to it basketball Knicks and Nets kind of floundering Knicks with a bad loss down in Washington last night despite winning in Dallas two nights prior you know Washington was one and seven coming into that game last night you know Knicks didn't even compete lose by 13 Brooklyn after losing to the Rockets there on Friday Nice bounce back over against Philly yesterday. Actually killed him, 122-97. Makes you wonder about Philly, 6-5, and five, not off to a good start. You figure after everything that happened to them last year. But, again, still early, still a lot to go. As far as the early season, you know, three weeks in, and some of the things to point out, I know everything that's happening in L.A. right now, the sky's falling, where you heard last week Magic Johnson reportedly and Luke Walton, certainly, I don't know if they got into a shouting match, but certainly a disagreement. Kind of wonder the job status of Luke Walton here 
in this early stage of the NBA season. But from what I read, that there's uh, no beef. I guess the dreaded vote of confidence may have uh, come across where Johnson says, hey, Lou Walton's my guy. We'll get this thing turned around. And after last night with no Kawhi Leonard, they were down 42-17 in the first quarter. So we'll see how that goes. I know the Lakers right now, uh, obviously on everybody's radar, and obviously so with LeBron there. But you kind of wonder if this team is going to continue to flounder, would a coaching change be made at some point? Who would they bring in? I, I couldn't even tell you. Not following it that closely, but uh, there is definitely concern in Lakerland, so uh, we'll see what happens maybe around Thanksgiving or probably right after that if they continue to just play poorly. And last night was an indication of that. Uh, Jimmy Butler, if I mean, if you're the Glenn Taylor, the owner of the T-Wolves, you got to get this guy out of here. And I don't know what you got to do. You're probably going to have to unfortunately sell low because he's become just a joke right now. And Jimmy Butler, let's face it, He's a good player. He's a, I will say he's even an above-average player. He is not a max player by any stretch. And I've said that time and again on this podcast. He is not a max player. He's a guy that is a good Robin to a Batman on a team. And here he is coming out saying that, oh, I'll tell you when I'll play a back-to-back nights. Uh, Jimmy Butler, where are the titles? Where are the uh, all-NBA pro, you know, all pro NBAs on your resume. Oh, come on. I mean, this is incredible to think that this guy's just going to come in here, be one of the leaders on this team to a bunch of the young guys, and you're going to say, oh, I'll play back-to-backs when I want to? They got to get him out of there. Even if they get nothing back, to me, that's just a terrible situation for a team that obviously has very good young players that could uh, – are they going to be a threat to Golden State? Uh, and Houston, once they get their ship righted, which they actually have, they won the last two games despite a one and five start. At the end of the day, no, but at least they could be competitive. At least they could try to make some noise out west in the uh, NBA. And to have a guy like Jimmy Butler on there, he's just become a virus. Of course, I'm not there. I don't know the day to day situation there, what's happening, but we've seen it. You know, practice yelling. During the uh, preseason, you know, during training camp, yelling at his players. I guess he's trying to puff out his chest to the point where it's like, hey, you know, I've been in this league longer than you guys. You guys don't have a say, whatever it is. It's just a sorted, this is a sorted situation. The details that are coming out of there are certainly not good for a young team, and especially he's not working for Thibodeau either, the coach. So we'll see what uh, takes place there. Golden State, 9 and 1. Denver, 8 and 1. Two great starts there out west. And then you had Kawhi and company. I thought that they would stub their toe a little bit out the gate, but they're 9-1. and one. They're certainly playing well. And Milwaukee, they were, they were the last undefeated team in the league. They were 7-0 and when they went into Boston and lose there on Thursday night, but they're 8-1. and one. They're certainly in very good shape. And, uh, of course, you had the big game with Klay Thompson there last Monday in Chicago, 14 three-pointers where he hit 10 in the first half, 52 points in 27 minutes. Just unbelievable display of uh, shooting from Klay Thompson. Remember, he had that 37-point quarter, uh, what was it, four or five years ago? So we know he could put up points in bunches in a hurry. So uh, that's your situation in the NBA. In the NHL, the Islanders had a very good week. And in fact, don't look now, but the Islanders are in first place in the Metropolitan Division. Now, granted, they're only separated by two points from the Penguins. And when you look at the eight teams in that division, they're only separated by six points overall. But Thomas Grice has certainly performed well in goal. I don't expect a lot of that 
you know, as far as in the long term is concerned, but he certainly played very well. They had two wins over Pittsburgh. They shut out the Devils the other day. Good job by them. And the Rangers have certainly put a little streak after their slow start. They've won three in a go three in a row as they won the back two in Anaheim and San Jose. And they won last night against Buffalo at the Garden. Devils have hit the skids after a fast start. They were three and zero, and now they're at the bottom of the division. But again, they're only separated by six points, as I said, with the Islanders up on top. And uh, just quick, some news and notes there throughout the league. You know, the dreaded hangover from a championship with the Capitals, as they're in the middle of the pack there in the Metropolitan Division. Vegas has certainly not looked good to start their year, and you kind of wonder. You know, they snuck up on a lot of people last year, as we know. Just breeze through the postseason up until the finals, and we know what happened there. But uh, they've definitely gotten off to a very slow start this year. And uh, when you look at the Pacific, talk about upside down. When you would think that the Kings, Sharks have played well, but the Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights of last year, which they were pretty much at the top of the Pacific division, it's been flip-flopped. You have your Calgary, Vancouver, and Edmonton at the top of that division. Calgary has actually been on a little... uh, Stretch here where they've won a bunch of games to the point where even the Kings, they fired their coach, John Stevens. He's been replaced by uh, Willie Desjardins. We'll see how that takes into shape for the Kings here moving out as they try to uh, get themselves back on the beam and try to make a push here. It's still early, but they felt they needed to make a move. And I know Jonathan Quick, the goalie's been in and out of the lineup, so who knows what's going to happen with the Kings here moving forward. But uh, Tampa and Nashville are your two top teams here in each conference. They both played very well. Uh, Tampa looks to be a big threat here, obviously, with the moves they made in the offseason. And they just signed uh, one of their big forwards to a six-year deal. Uh, Gorday, I believe his name is. So they're certainly uh, looking to make a cup run. Remember, they made it to the cup a few years ago when they lost to the Blackhawks. So a lot of people like them to uh, come out of there the East. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much your NHL early news and notes here as they're a little bit more than a month into the season. And let me wrap this up with uh, some news out of uh, boxing or MMA, you want to call it. And you know me, I don't, I haven't really discussed much about it because to me the sport is just off in another stratosphere on the bad side. And that's boxing. And MMA, I, I wouldn't follow it if it's in my own living room. But Floyd Mayweather has signed on to fight a 20-year-old Japanese kid who I believe is a mixed martial artist, Tenshin Nasukawa, New Year's Eve, actually in Japan. It's outside of Tokyo where this match is going to take place. So you'll get to see it. Now remember, there is the difference, or whatever it is, it's a 12-hour difference. So if the match is going to be, let's say, 11 p.m. Tokyo time, it's going to be 11 a.m. here on the Eastern time, here in New York. But the thing is, although they have this fight set up, and on Mayweather's Instagram profile, he had a pair of, MMA gloves on, and it just said December 31st, 2018. We don't know the rules of the bout. You know, how many rounds going to be? Weight limit? Is it going to be mixed martial arts? Does that mean that for the first time, Floyd Mayweather is not going to be in a match where it's just going to strictly be boxing? So, and I don't know anything about this Japanese kid. So, if you're going to ask me, oh, yeah, this guy's up and coming, please, I couldn't tell you. And I'm sure a lot of people, I don't want to hear it. Oh, on YouTube, eh. Unless you're dying the wool, we'll see. But as we get closer, maybe I'll have a guest on just to talk about that, talk about this kid. But again, that's not until New Year's Eve, which that will take place. So I figure I'd end my show on that note. I mean, obviously, it's not the greatest of notes. But for those who are into Mayweather, for those who follow uh, big money 
Floyd, whoever you want to call him. I'm not a fan of his. I could care less. But I just thought I'd throw that in the mix so as we get closer to the bout, we'll certainly have something to chew on before the end of the year. All right, now we'll do it. I wanted to get this under a tidy hour, so i got a couple minutes to do some housekeeping. People, please, as always, uh, forever grateful and thankful for you to support the program, download, listen, tell your friends, share uh, the website, jreels.com. Whether you get the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, please feel free to just uh, continue to support the program any way, shape, or form possible. Tell your friends, those who are interested in sports. You can check me out also on my social media accounts, J Reels, Instagram. You'll see me post some stuff on my IG stories. And i got to get more involved in that too. I know I've been slacking big time with that, but uh, to get a lot more of the show, the name, etc., I got to do a better job on that, so hands up here as far as uh, holding myself accountable to that. You can also check me out on Twitter, JReels1, just a number, and the JReels Podcast on Facebook. You also want to send an email to the JReels Podcast at gmail.com for any questions, comments, criticism, praise. You could also hit me up on any of my social media sites with any questions, etc. I'm actually going to probably put a poll later on this week, so take a look out for that on Instagram to just kind of see where the show's going. Maybe do a couple of tweaks here and there. I'd certainly like to get your input on that. I'll be here each and every Monday to deliver everything that's going on in the world of sports. As you know, ice, hardwood, etc. Because each and every week when the j podcast comes correct, it's always here in full effect. And it's just my pleasure to do so, delivering everything that's going on in the world of sports. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. Be nice to people. Do well, etc. And until next time on the uh, J Reels Podcast, on the flippy.